Welcome to Supergirl's Attic. I'm Cycles. And I'm Vivi. For this episode, we're going to discuss the super cousins, Kara and Clark, or Supergirl and Superman. You may have heard of them before. <laughs> you know his story. <laughs> <laughs> and now it's time now you're hear. for ours. Yeah. We thought it would be a fitting time as Superman and Lois takes on Supergirl's time slot and Supergirl goes on hiatus. So for this episode, we're going to talk about their relationship the family dynamics and their differences in values, which is something I find to be interesting because as characters, when you think of Supergirl and, and Superman, they're somewhat similar. Mm. They have a lot in common. Like, obviously, they're Kryptonians, they're supers. And this version of Kara has like an awkward alien side that we know Clark to have. And they're friendly, try to be positive. <laughs> yes, they're very upbeat characters as opposed to some of the other heroes of the Arrowverse. <laughs> the Olivers of <laughs> the Arrowverse. And obviously they try to be heroes and help people. And they are symbols of hope for people in one way or another. And that's one of the things that we'll examine in this episode, the different ways that they are symbols of hope and what that means specifically for them. Mm -hmm. But their differences in their origin story. <laughs> As the opening monologue of season one repeated frequently. <laughs> yes, those foundational experiences shape the unique form that these sort of similar qualities take for each of them and the differences within. So let's take a look at Clark first as a character who we don't examine a whole lot on Supergirl's Attic. Yeah, we had been talking about doing this for a while, but just because there's so much to talk about related to Supergirl, the show itself, we'd been holding off on it. And so because the two TV shows have been kind of following each other back and forth, mm -hmm. it felt like a better time to do it, especially since Supergirl as a show is getting closer to an endpoint. Yeah. And because as we're taking a look back at the beginning of the show, mm -hmm. he was a big sort of yeah looming force, despite not actually appearing in the first season. Yeah. But last episode of Supergirl's Attic, we talked about fear and the way that it can be an inverse of a person's strongest belief. And in a similar way, a superhero character often looks at the world and sees some important thing that needs to be fixed like a role that they can play in making the world better and something that needs to be healed in some way. Take Batman as a character who sees fear. Mm. And for Superman, when he looks out into the world, the thing that he sees reflected in the faces of the people that he's trying to help is loneliness and the fear that in your time of need, you are alone. Mm. And that goes back to the foundation of the character, his foundational experiences as a kid growing up in Kansas and being kind of like dorky and having like a secret and having these very obvious to him differences between himself and the people around him, his young peers. And also, Clark lost his chance to be around people who are like him and his culture. Like Clark says in season two, when he visits Kara, I didn't realize how nice it was to be around someone like me, you know, just to be with family. That's not that kind of unique experience that he grew up with. Kind of like Kara says in the first prom episode this season mm. about how it's just different being around someone who's like you in that way. Yeah. And that made him feel alone. And that's something that we see a lot with Superman as a character across different storytelling mediums, a sense of loneliness. And in this, you know, Clark didn't grow up with Kara. You know, he didn't get to experience that stronger together message mm, that yeah. we so heavily associate with Kara as like a team player. And so for Clark, for Superman, who he is as a hero is a friend. That phrase that he uses in a lot of different Superman stories and that is referenced by other characters in Supergirl as a show. I consider him to be sort of a paragon of trust. <laughs> Take in Superman and Lois in one of the recent episodes, Clark gives a speech to his son and says, when I first showed up in Metropolis as Superman, there was a lot of talk about what the world should do with someone who had powers like mine. And it took me a minute to realize that other people were more afraid of what I could do than I was. Mm. So what I had to do more than anything was earn their trust, prove to them that no matter what, I would never use my powers to hurt them. And that was a speech with relation to the idea of like not giving into anger, which is a big theme in Superman stories as a character who's very powerful and is an alien. Yeah. And it's something that comes up in Supergirl as well. It was very present in season one. And I have a feeling they'll return to it this season, given that the theme is looking at power and mm -hmm. how it's used by different characters. But 
part of the reason that like the red kryptonite episode in season one was so powerful was that it was Kara detached from her usual level of control over the way she presents herself to people so that she isn't seen as threatening. Mm -hmm. And then her grappling with the consequences of undoing that trust from the public. Right. Yeah. And so for Superman, that is something that his character struggles with as well in terms of like it being an obstacle for people seeing him as a friend. Mm, Yeah. Christopher Reeve said, when Lois Lane asks Superman, who are you? He replies, a friend. That makes him, above all else, a symbol of hope. In the face of adversity, hope often comes in the form of a friend who reaches out to us. So here we see Superman represent hope, but a specific kind of hope, which is that people are good or people will help you when you need them. That, you know, you can reach out to people and that they will be receptive. Mm. And this is something that resonates with James in Supergirl as like, you know, Superman's best friend. (laughs) Yeah. Famously. He says to Kara in season two, when Kara asks who he is, you know, he's wearing the Guardian getup and has that helmet on, a friend. And for James, he very much looks up to the supers. Yeah. And that started with Superman, who was his friend in a time of need for James. In season three, when he talked about the time that Superman saved him from falling off of a big tower, in this life, prayer normally doesn't work. Nobody shows up. But Clark did, and you do. And to James, someone who was cruelly bullied, as we saw in season four, and who had that traumatic experience being handcuffed by police as a kid. Mm, Yeah. A friend is something that he wants to be for the world because that's something that he felt like he was lacking as well. But James as a character sort of comes into his own in recognizing the power in being a friend and a symbol of hope for people who look like him physically and and in terms of circumstances in a more specific way. Mm, Yeah. That resonates with him and his life experience and who he is at his core. Speaking of the friend thing, that reminded me that in season three, before Wynn leaves to go to the future, Mm -hmm. he and James have that whole conversation where James talks about how he never really had a close friend like that until Clark and Mm. then from Clark until the time that he and Wynn really got to know each other, which is cool for tying in that concept of like the friend as part of Clark's values, but also the idea of Kara as a person who brings people together. Mm, Yeah. And so for Clark, being a friend is very much related to his like small town upbringing. And for him, Earth is like a small town, (laughs) like Smallville. Well, and for Clark, the context of being kind of like that small town guy is really interesting because there's this dichotomy in that, Mm. especially in kind of the more rural America setting. Because on the one hand, because they are such small communities, people are very interconnected just because the economy is small and everybody's got to, you know, work with each other as far as resources. Mm -hmm. And also because when there's not that many people around, your choices for socializing are limited. So like you have to figure out how to just deal with the people who are there because there's no alternative. But on the other hand, it can be a very lonely existence. And there is also this culture of, you know, you do things for yourself and on your own and your achievements need to be yours. And Mm. there's just like this sense of the very classic like American independent like frontier can do spirit. Mm-hmm. And that's the part where Kara's often, and we see this a bunch in season one in her conversations with James, a little bit kind of bemused by Clark and his values because she's looking at it from a Kryptonian point of view and thinking of him as Kryptonian and as part of her family. And she's like, but he always just does things a little off. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Um, and she's like, and that's not me. And that's not what I want to do. <laughs> and I like that in the version of Superman that they brought in on Supergirl and have now continued with, that he kind of does embody both of those things because, like, mm. he'll help out all the time, you know, like when Kara asked in season one and he's like, yeah, I'm coming. <laughs> But he also really, you know, does things kind of in his own way and on his own terms and doesn't necessarily compromise always in the same ways that Kara does with people. Yeah, which we'll explore a little bit more. But yeah, Clark has this very like rural America understanding of what like goodness is and what being principled means. Mm. 
But he applies it very broadly. So like a strong sense of community, take that part and expands it to encompass everyone on Earth. (laughs) Yeah. Like in the Superman 4 movie, A Quest for Peace, which the season four finale of Supergirl was named after. Superman says in a speech, (laughs) I just wish you could all see the Earth the way that I see it, because when you really look at it, it's just one world. And Christopher Reeve said about that speech that it has its roots in Clark's like small town perspective of like, we're just on one little blue dot, you know, Mm. (laughs) we share this one space together. And because Superman is Superman, he can fly up and literally see it that way. Yeah, kind of like the view we saw of Kara in the VR in the end of season five, Mm. like Mm -hmm. looking at all of the individual people. Yeah. So Clark kind of ends up being a little bit more stronger together than you might expect. (laughs) But he's still very individualistic in like his methods and how he goes about things. And he still has that almost like earth brain. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they they made that pretty obvious in season one when he literally got mind controlled by Myriad because he thought (laughs) too much like a human person. (laughs) Yeah. Ouch. (laughs) That's rough. So Clark is very different from Kara in that way and Mm -hmm. in many ways. So let's turn to Kara as a character. Yes, let's. (laughs) So when Kara looks out into the world with the purpose of helping it, the thing that she sees, the fear that she sees in other people is hopelessness. Because for Kara, her foundation was that she had this unimaginable loss right? Mm -hmm. Her entire planet's destruction. And so the fear that Kara has carried throughout her life with her, that sort of hole that she's always trying to climb out of, she makes that metaphor multiple times in the show. Like in season three, I would walk around and feel this dull, empty pit, a hollowness. Mm. And in her speech to Jean in season one, that it makes a hole in your heart. Her fear is that Once the horrible thing that happened happened, she never really escaped it. She's stuck in that hole. She's still metaphorically in that pod, Hmm. replaying the destruction of her planet for nearly a decade, as we learn. So kind of like the place she's in at the start of season six, literally. (laughs) Yes. That's fine. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) There's nothing psychologically damaging about that. (laughs) She's fine. It's okay. <laughs> and and so that's why Kara craves things feeling normal and feeling like she has a normal life. Like she says in that red-faced episode in season one, I'm realizing that being myself doesn't make me feel more normal. It never will because my normal life ended the second my parents put me on that ship. And that's the thing that drives her anger in that and recognizing the impact that it had on her and will forever have on her. And, you know, after a big loss or traumatic event, a person may experience like this fear that things will never be normal again or or just things will never be okay. And that's the arc that we saw in season three, Car coming to the realization that we're going to be okay. Mm, Yeah. You know, our first ever episode is titled that. And that sense of we're going to be okay is, I think, the emotional core of hope. And why Kara is a paragon of hope. Mm, Yeah. That's who she is as a hero. And Kara loves like the little things as we've talked about. She loves the idea of like normal and finding a way to build a life in the same way that Clark loves people. Like Christopher Reeve said, I think it is that kind of virtue that's the heart of Superman, the genuine love of people and that you always know he's your friend. They both recognize the impact that the thing they are trying to escape from has, like loneliness and and hopelessness. And then therefore they want to give the world that thing that they cherish, which is, you know, friendship and that connection and hope. And so for Carr and Clark, while they are similar and and probably come to the same kind of conclusions about things, they come by it differently. They have different pathways to similar results or even similar like personality traits. Take, you know, the decision to become a reporter. Mm. For Clark, it means being near danger <laughs> and, and being able to swoop in the perfect time to save, you know, Lois Lane or other people. <laughs> yeah, Clark 
kind of gets into journalism as an avenue for finding people to help and using reporting as a tool for doing that, whereas Kara is like, you know, using police scanners and just (laughs) eavesdropping. (laughs) But for Kara, reporting is so much about changing people's minds. Kara's favorite pastime. A little bit. (laughs) Honestly. That's why she loves hope speeches so much. And she's so good at them. Yeah. And it's interesting because for neither of them is reporting really about like the truth compared to, say, Lois Lane, who is very much in pursuit of, like, uncovering harmful secrets and the, like, you know, plots that are hurting the little people, etc. It's interesting because that's something Kara has done, Mm -hmm. but it's also not her main purpose, which is your point. Like, she didn't set out to take down Lex because she wanted to expose the ways he was harming normal people. Mm-hmm. She did that because of other reasons. Of all the like anti-alien nonsense that was wrapped up in that. Yeah. And Lockwood and her most celebrated within the storyline sort of story is the like aliens of National City. Mm-hmm. Which I mean is in its own way kind of, you know, helping the little people, mm-hmm. so to speak. But it's with a specific agenda of like Kara is an alien and she doesn't feel comfortable sharing that about herself. So she wants to showcase other people who are comfortable comfortable doing that well she's doing it for the specific purpose of like changing people's minds about well, yeah, aliens exactly <laughs> yeah and the peak moment of that is the tv interview with dreamer yes <laughs> and then you know going back to this idea that like Carr and clark are similar but different <laughs> we have like both of them being fairly trusting people and the way that Kara goes about this is like Oh, there's still hope for them. Take Lena. Like, there's still hope for her. We can reach her. We can get through to her. Compare that to Clark and Lex. It's more, well, he's my friend in, in certain iterations of the character. He he must want friendship and connection deep down. Like, he just needs me to trust him and, and he'll trust me and, and everything will be okay. Which is why Lex is an excellent villain for Superman as a character. Because, you know, he's a sociopath. Like, he doesn't care about that, Clark. <laughs> like, that's not what he's into. <laughs> that's not one of his interests. <laughs> friendship. No. And see, now that to me is another interesting place where Clark and Kara maybe differ somewhat because Kara, as we saw specifically, I was thinking of season three, like where she asks Marin for help understanding how he found a way to talk to the White Martians. Mm-hmm. Kara is more apt to attempt to approach people through the lens of their own values Whereas Mm -hmm. with Clark, it seems like he's coming from a place of, well, these are my values. And if we get along, we must share them. (laughs) But like Cara, too, will sometimes have that problem of giving people the benefit of the doubt too long, kind of like she did with Rhea. Yeah, that's for sure. (laughs) Well, it is interesting because for both of them, there are elements that are like their values are their weakness. Mm. Cara risking the whole world to give Rhea one more shot because she wants to find a way to do it all is a weakness of hers that a person could exploit if they saw it, you know? Mm -hmm. And that goes back to, like, the ways that Carr and Clark are similar but also differ. For Clark, he says at the end of season two, after Kara sent Manal away to possibly die, I'd like to think that if it came down to a choice between Lois and the world, and he trails off, But I don't think I could. He doesn't think he could make that choice. And in terms of values being something a person can exploit, Clark's value of friendship and connectedness and being Lois's friend, (laughs) or a little bit more than that, I guess, (laughs) that puts him in a situation where, okay, am I a friend to the world? Am I a friend to specific people? And in season two, he refers to it as Carr being like strong, you know, being able to make that decision. Which she is, but it also has a lot to do with that value of Clark's, of him wanting to be a friend and have a friend. And therefore his loved ones are a big vulnerability for him compared to like those broader, like the world is all the same town value. Mm. And in Superman and Lois, it sort of results in a straight up like heroing, supering, as they say in Supergirl, 
it can be selfish message, which is something that is explored in Supergirl, but they come to the opposite conclusion. Whereas like in the flashbacks in this season, Alex thinks that Kara is being selfish for making the decisions that she is about being a superhero. But the show does not actually posit that that is true. No, and that's why it's something that Kara considers when she's in the grip of the phantom vision. Mm, Yeah. (laughs) That's the only time she ever thinks of it that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Whereas in Superman and Lois, Clark has this reflection back on himself making the decision to leave home when he was young to, you know, explore his alien heritage and ultimately become Superman. And it was very much related to like how he was trying to save people in the town and stop crime and stuff like that. And he comes to the conclusion that leaving home, leaving his mom was selfish. And he says as much to Lois. And this is a point where like Lois could be like, no, that wasn't selfish. That was you pursuing, you know, the thing that you're meant to be. Which is 100% what the Danvers family would and has repeatedly said to Kara. <laughs> Honestly, yes, yeah. correct. But Lois instead is like, she's still, you know, nice and like encouraging. But she says like, oh, all kids are selfish at that age. Like she agrees with him about that choice. Which is not necessarily a universal take on the character. It's actually one of my not favorite parts of the Superman and Lois show. Mm -hmm. But that does play on this element of Superman as a character, that push and pull between wanting to not be lonely and wanting to be a friend for other people in his personal life and then also in that broader sense. And then in terms of Clark and Kara and their different perspectives, we have Clark and the government. And in season two, having that conflict with Jean over the kryptonite and and how Jean had kryptonite. And I think that has a lot to do with the idea of trust and not being trusted and, and being upset about that and feeling kind of rejected by the fact that John has this weapon that could hurt Clark. Yeah, I found it funny. <laughs> not like funny in a like a joke way in season two, but just in the extreme degree of difference between Clark's reaction to John having kryptonite accessible at this point in season two and Kara, who just like rolled with it the whole time. And was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> I mean, she certainly wasn't. She's not like immediately happy, happy when she was it. shot out of the sky. Uh, yeah, <laughs> she did use it. You know, yeah, it was useful. She understands that there is a utility to it. Number one, because they used it in the training room when Alex was teaching her how to fight, and number two, because she's accustomed to working with people who are not super powered, and they took on other Kryptonians. And, you know, as Alex will point out, she needs something that's an equalizing force or she will die. So, Mm -hmm. like, that's always something that's very interesting as a difference between Kara and Clark in the sense that Kara is more open to working with organizations or people, just individual people, Mm -hmm. that she doesn't necessarily agree with in terms of principle or ideology If that's the best option available to her in order to accomplish the most good for the most people and to protect them. Which I think also may extend on like a personal level to Kara hearing Lena say, oh, I almost killed someone (laughs) or saying then later, I killed someone (laughs) and still be willing to be her friend. Yeah. Clark, I could picture, and I think it depends on the writer, you could go either way, but I could easily picture him being more let down Mm, by that decision or, I guess, mistake. Yeah. Well, and similarly, too, we see Kara repeatedly also willing to tolerate different like technologies and other things that she may personally find offensive Mm -hmm. or just morally awful. And one of the things about that, particularly with the kryptonite, that was the part that amused me and I found like interesting about them on a character level in season two, is that you can also connect their different reactions to it, to their connections and experiences with Krypton and growing up on Earth in the ways that they did. Mm. Because Clark has no memory of ever having a normal sense of vulnerability to injury or to physical Mm. discomfort in a way that Kara, you know, Kara had illnesses as a child. Kara had, you know, normal bumps and bruises and all that kind of stuff as a kid and was old enough to remember 
what that's like (laughs) and has a different sense of her vulnerability in a way that I think maybe Clark doesn't always consider because there are so few things he grew up with that could hurt him. Mm -hmm. You raise an interesting point in terms of Krypton being a force that creates a difference between them in this sense, where Kara has traveled to a lot of different planets. Oh, yeah. And has probably seen a lot of different kinds of technology, of moral systems. And I mean, she certainly was not okay with the Daxamites having (laughs) slaves. Uh, <laughs> no, well, but also, you know, thinking about that, by the point that Clark is getting into this argument with Jean, Kara is already in a way very different than Clark gone through this disillusionment process with realizing that the choices her own parents made affected the outcome of her life mm-hmm. and the recognition that it was a life she was ripped away from in a way that Clark has no memory of. Like, mm. he still feels that absence as an orphan of a family and a context in that way, but he doesn't feel the loss of, like, a whole way of being <laughs> in, no. in that way. Which then takes us to kind of considering Kara and Clark as immigrants and the super story as an immigrant story which it is and which is why it's so exciting with the way that they've chosen to cast the newest iteration of supergirl Hmm. to be reflective of that in a way that the original superman was reflective of one of the largest immigrant populations of its day Mm -hmm. but supergirl as a tv series came in in season one with a very clear desire to examine its main alien characters as immigrants and as immigrants who arrived on Earth at very different times in their lives and that would have affected their ability to assimilate. So you had, you know, Clark who came in as a baby with no real context for the world that he had left behind. And then Kara as someone who arrived in early adolescence and is kind of on the bridge between those two cultures where there is a lot of opportunity for her to learn how to fit in, but also she just knows she's different. Mm-hmm. And then you also had Jean as someone who arrived as an adult and had very different issues there. Mm-hmm. And it's fun then because you see him interacting with both Carr and Clark in season two. <laughs> yeah. But like with Clark, you know, because he came in as a baby, the only parents he really has an emotional awareness of are his earth parents who raised him the kents Mm -hmm. and he's totally comfortable within the context of american culture all of his childhood experiences are stereotypical small town american experiences yeah well besides the little you know besides having the alien powers (laughs) but yeah that's the thing where you know he still knows there's something that sets him apart Mm. But he doesn't really understand, like, why or where it came from. And in that, he has a much more kind of like a stereotypical, like, adopted child, like, quest to find his birth culture. Mm. (laughs) You know, and also thinking about Supergirl and its collection of adoption narratives, like, that's part Mm -hmm. of it, too, where... Clark starts understanding how he's different as he matures and his powers develop, but he doesn't know, like, the ins and outs of why, and he doesn't have any sense of the cultural existence of his parents Hmm. or the society he came from. Whereas Kara comes in already very aware (laughs) that she is other, that she is not part of the culture that she has to fit in with. But she's still, because of the age that she is at and these huge losses that she's gone through, Mm -hmm. she's still looking for some sense of belonging and like a place where she at least feels safe being vulnerable, I guess is the Mm -hmm. best way to put it. And she finds that in the Danvers family, in part because their ethos as a family is so close to the thing that she values of like, you're stronger together, like... The Danvers family (laughs) will go to the ends of the earth for her. Like, we've seen that. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yes, literally. But because she comes in really knowing Krypton from living it, she approaches earth and the cultural values that she's encountering with this more critical eye of, like, well, how does this fit who I am already? Like, are there things that I feel comfortable with? Are there things that are different that I maybe want to embrace, but that still fit mm-hmm. with who I am as a Yeah. There's a sense of almost appreciation and, and choice mm. with that, whereas Clark is raised in this environment and he sort of becomes an American. <laughs> yeah. You know, with Kara, she could fly off 
you know, and, and leave this place if she wanted to. And the family and the culture, at least in terms of what Earth culture she is, has access to. And I think there's some iterations of the comic where she's either tempted or she does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it is a choice for Kara to adopt elements of Earth and American culture. Yeah. And one of the things they did really nicely with that in particularly seasons one and two is that we see all the different ways that Kara is culturally fluent as a person on Earth and an American person, mm. you know. In season one, you have the example of her correcting other aliens on their inability to use just very idiomatic expressions that you just have to learn. Hmm. Yeah. She dresses, you know, in a way that blends in her mannerisms fit. She understands the humor. She knows pop culture. She gets the food. Um, <laughs> she sure does. She's an expert in the food. <laughs> she, yeah. All of Earth's food. Like, that's not just American. Although I do love that pizza is like her favorite <laughs> But then she still has this sense of disconnect that she can never fully stop because she's got a whole wealth of past experiences that no one can relate to. <laughs> and there's no real way for her to share them with people because Krypton is gone. Yeah. Which takes us to this idea of like what ifs for Kara mm. and things that she can never really get back at least at the stage in the story, and the ways that that relates to Clark as this figure in her life and as her, like, baby cousin turned still baby cousin but older than her. <laughs> in Supergirl, Clark makes his first appearance as, well, a baby, and then he is this silhouette, you know, in the sun, and we don't see his face, and then he's a blur, and <laughs> then he's a couple of texts. <laughs> and then in season two, he becomes this sort of fleeting touchstone for Kara, a friend who can never really stick around for very long. Mm. So Superman, Clark, Cal, he becomes, for Kara, a symbol of the many missed lives that she longs for in one way or another take, you know, the what if of like, what if Kara and Cal had grown up on Krypton together? Mm, yeah, which we kind of know she's at least considered and thought about. Yeah, because in For the Girl Who Has Everything, episode 13 of season one, we see Kara's perfect, like heaven-like version of reality at that point in her life, which featured the little cousin version of Cal who was around 13. And it is implied that this is something she used to daydream about, specifically Cal. Like it is more than implied that she used to daydream about the circumstances that were within the Black Mercy coma <laughs> when she first arrived on Earth. So that's one life that Kara didn't get to experience with relation to Clark. Another one is what if Kara had come to Earth at the same time as Clark? Mm, yeah. Kara's mission, the first thing that she is, you know, tasked with when we see her in the series is, you know, protect Kellel. And and that's her new normal. That's the new thing that she's supposed to make her life about, <laughs> along with being extraordinary on Earth. No pressure. <laughs> and so there's this missed chance to make things a little bit more okay, going back to this fear that things aren't going to be okay, by fulfilling her responsibility to her parents, to Krypton, and to the House of L legacy in, say, sharing memories of Krypton and, and a value system with young Kal-El and sort of raising him to become more Kryptonian than the version of him that we see mm. And in protecting him, like in season one, Kara struggles with sort of being in the shadow of Superman in various ways. And because it, I think, brings to mind her loss, you know, Kara says, this is the reason my mother and father sent me to Earth. Alex is like, they wanted you to live. <laughs> Kara's like, no, it's more than that. I was supposed to be the one saving him, not the other way around. And and him coming and saving her is like ice water to the face of reminding her, like, I was supposed to do this for you. This is so wrong. Yeah. And a sense of like failed responsibility. But this missed chance with Kellel in part fuels Kara's need to to do something to be a superhero. She sort of transfers that I was sent here to protect Kellel and now I will protect the earth, which makes it fitting that the first save that we see Kara do in the show is 
in the flashback in season one when Kara hears a baby crying mm-hmm. and then yeah. saves it from being trapped in a car, which... It's like a space pod. <laughs> yes. And then we have the what if of what if Clark had taken Kara in? What if he had raised her? And this is sort of the missed life that we see Kara most struggle with outwardly. Mm, yeah. Like in the flashbacks that we see Kara wants to be super. She sketches the super crest, the House of L crest in her little book. You know, she knows a bunch of Superman facts in a very nerdy way and wants to get out there and do the super hearing with him. Well, and she also kind of implies in the conversation with not Jean, FBI agent, that she thinks that if she can go be super, then she can be together with him Mm. because that's the thing that's keeping him from having her like there with him because she can't in theory take care of herself or like help others right and then we also see in season one when Kara first meets james olsen her like ask what superman is like yeah we've joked about this before i think that Kara has this like weird like parasocial relationship <laughs> with with her cousin <laughs> yeah which is uh something (laughs) (laughs) and that energy takes us to alex (laughs) and her opinion of clark (laughs) yeah that was one of the most fascinating things that they introduced in season two that i'm like a little sad that we'll never get to revisit because of covid Mm -hmm. but we don't know a whole lot about clark's relationship to the danvers family before Kara arrived on earth we know he knew one or both of the Danvers parents because Jeremiah implies to Henshaw that he's like an expert on Superman, which I know was like a joke for Dean Kane, but also like <laughs> happened. <laughs> it was also part of the reason, you know, Kara in her monologue at the beginning explains that like Clark chose the Danvers. <laughs> yeah. Thinking that, you know, that would be a good place for her to be so that she could have like a nurturing environment to grow up Mm -hmm. in. But we don't really ever learn whether or not Alex had a pre-existing relationship with Clark before Kara came into their family. Like if she'd ever like just met him randomly, like through her parents or or if she was like a little baby Superman fan as a child. (laughs) Either way. But we do briefly get to see what their relationship is like as adults. And it is a very typical relationship for Alex where she's like politely neutral. (laughs) And trying to decide if you're a threat to the people she cares about. (laughs) Um, She's definitely warm to him. It's interesting, too, because when she greets him when he comes to the DEO, it seems like they've interacted a bunch of times before. But then we know from Kara that, like, Clark wasn't around that much. So Mm -hmm. that was interesting. But it's also just great when he shows up at the DEO because Alex kind of is not excited about it at all. Um, and I said to you, Clark rolls in and he feels like the fun weekend dad in like a shared custody divorced family. Oh, <laughs> um, oh no. Because it's like he's there and Kara's just going off and doing all these things that she's normally like not allowed to do in a way. <laughs> having hashtag too much fun. Yes, specifically that. And like Jean as her not dad is really not impressed. Um, <laughs> but I actually like the fact that Alex has this reservation and then you find out later some more feelings (laughs) that she's been holding back is just fascinating because of something that you brought up cycles in our Danvers family podcast episode, which was, I think, episode 17 of the podcast where you mentioned that during the Midvale flashback where Kara makes her kind of like condescending comment about calculus, <laughs> Eliza shuts down Alex's retort before she can say anything kind of negative about Krypton. Mm. And we also already know Kara didn't really talk about cultural things or things she missed from Krypton much Mm -hmm. when she was young. And Clark then became the only obvious sign of her longing for connection to her home and her family. And obviously Alex knows that. Yeah. It's almost the most 
palatable thing for her to miss. <laughs> it's the easiest way to package yeah. her feelings of loss. Is like, oh, I wish I could be with this individual person who does exist but isn't near me. You yeah. know, it's not quite as devastating as as discussing like the loss of her whole planet. Yeah, or like missing her parents who she knows she can't mm-hmm. have a relationship with anymore yeah. or stuff like that. Clark's just out of sight, you know. Yeah. Which is was painful in its own way, but Yes, it clearly was because Alex has some opinions about Clark <laughs> as a family member. And his understanding of how Stronger Together is supposed to work. (laughs) And in case you couldn't tell, she thinks he does it wrong. (laughs) Um. (laughs) Which is funny because we talk about Kara having very strong opinions about values. Yes. (laughs) Alex, in her own way, in this way, is the same way. That's like her one thing that she's got like a really big sore (laughs) spot about. Which we see later in season two with like her and her own dad. But yeah. But we do learn, you know, she clearly has had this opinion for a while, but that she's kept it to herself, much like she's got this nifty trend of keeping things to herself (laughs) out of respect for Kara's feelings and Kara's, you know, longing for that connection to home. It's just it reaches a boiling point where she's like, I have to say something because this isn't (laughs) cool. Yeah, well, it, it, <laughs> for her personally, like, it's one of those situations where Alex, you know, if she had managed to say it a little bit earlier, it, it would have not more tactfully. As, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it hits a point where like she has been holding it in, yeah, for a really long time, and then it comes out in like kind of an aggressive, not kind, <laughs> devastating way. way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's kind of similar to in season five where Alex finally reaches the point where she says to Kara like hey this thing with Lena is like not good Mm -hmm. and it's harmful to you like what are you doing (laughs) yeah but so going back to this family dynamic at the beginning of season two you have Kara finally getting to spend like a meaningful amount of time with Clark Mm -hmm. both of them in their public personas both of them like being nerdy little aliens together (laughs) also she's just going through this transition that she's super stressed about with becoming a reporter and she's like Clark's Mm -hmm. a reporter maybe now (laughs) that I'm an adult and he's an adult he can be my like mentor buddy and we can be family together And she's like so excited to have him around and energized by it that she doesn't want it to end. Kind of like anytime she gets her hand on something that reminds her of her past. But it reaches the point where she starts overlooking her relationships to the rest of her family and specifically to the people who are there for her all of the time Mm -hmm. and not just when it's like fun. Um. Yeah. (laughs) And for Kara, she doesn't really clock that as a problem. A, because, you know, Alex tries to keep things that hurt her feelings inside. (laughs) And B, because Kara, we've talked about this a lot recently, has a self-perception sometimes that she is a burden upon Alex. Mm -hmm. So the idea that like Alex like misses her (laughs) and And gets emotional comfort from being around her. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's it's a little bit it goes against Kara's expectation of like I make things harder for my sister. Yeah. And that's actually it's also setting up for that to become a bigger conflict between them in the early part of season two, which Mm -hmm. it was nice the way they did it here. But you see Alex is kind of like keeping a lid on her opinion of Clark because she's like, oh, it's temporary, whatever. Until Kara brings up the fact that she's like, maybe I'll just move to Metropolis, at which point Alex is like, oh, uh, what? <laughs> Back up. Yeah. And she definitely does not like that <laughs> on a personal level because it's like, OK, well, what about like me and our mm-hmm. our dynamic? And, you know, we're always here for each other. But also there's a little part of it that's like. Concern for Kara and her expectations and maybe her hopes being a little higher than they should be. Yeah. With Clark. Yeah. In the sense that, like, Alex is a consistent person in Kara's life, and then Clark shows up and Kara gets her hopes up. And it's like, I'm finally going to have a deep connection with this person. And Alex is like, as the person who is often that deep connection for Kara, like, 
this guy's not <laughs> doing that. This isn't going to work out the way that you hope it does. No, it's really the way she does. She's too mean a little bit. Like, um, <laughs> Alex is, is personally hurt. Like, she's not yeah. just saying it. To she's Cora not saying it to, to be mean. She's upset. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, she's neither saying it to. Well, well, <laughs> <laughs> she's lashing out a little bit. Yeah. But she, the purpose of that conversation isn't just to help Cara. It's because she's like, well, you know, where's the reciprocity? Yeah. I mean, she specifically and the, her word choice, too, is very telling. She looks at Cara and she's like, does Clark understand that he abandoned you? Mm-hmm. Which, like, that's a strong word to use, especially <laughs> knowing, like, you know, now she's in a position as an adult to consider, like, you know, Clark was only in his maybe early 20s at that point mm-hmm. in time. And, you know, we know from flashbacks that she didn't have her life together <laughs> in her early 20s either. <laughs> and she really does not think he deserves any slack mm-hmm. at all. But her other point, you know, her thing where she kind of goes for the jugular, she's like, well, do you understand that? Mm-hmm. She's like, because I understand it. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, That's a thing where, like, if Eliza were there, she'd be like, Alex. She'd be like, what are you doing? <laughs> Alexandra. <laughs> she'd be like, we know it, but we can't say it. <laughs> <laughs> well, going back to that sort of, like, don't, you know. Don't ruin don't insult good Krypton. feelings. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's really interesting in the sense that you see that Alex gets the idea that Clark is not doing the emotional labor of being there for Kara in a meaningful, consistent Mm -hmm. way. Right. And that if Kara goes through with this, she's setting herself up for a lot of disappointment. Yeah. Yeah. And for (laughs) Kara, when Alex says this, she has a... She doesn't doesn't deny deny it. it. Jinx. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. She just kind of looks at Alex like, oh, that's not something I like to think about. (laughs) She's like, we're not supposed... Just like I can't say out loud that I don't know about birds, you're not supposed to say this. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And I think Kara doesn't like to think about the way that Clark didn't make the decision to raise her and also has not been around because a you know car's tendency to want things to be okay Mm. (laughs) and to try to see things in a hopeful way and then also maybe guilt because Mm. of car's you know sense of responsibility toward like the baby version of Kalel, the reason which i don't think has ever been like explicitly said in the show Mm. Yeah. That car's pod is knocked off course. It's because Car goes in for one last hug with her parents. And then her exit from the planet is delayed just enough that she's hit by the planet's blast when it explodes and is pushed into the phantom zone. Mm. Yeah. Which is horrible when you think about it. Yeah. So if Kara does have that on her mind, that's a decision that she made that made it so that she, I mean, A, was trapped in the Phantom Zone, which was horrible. And then B, she wasn't there for Kalel when he landed. And even if she doesn't have that in her head and is like a little bit healthier in terms of like reasonable expectations for the 13-year-old version of herself, mm. she still has a sense of like, I was supposed to protect him, even if it doesn't make logical sense. Yeah. There's a feeling that this is the thing I was supposed to do and I failed to do it. Yeah. So him not being there for her, it's like, well, yeah, of course not. Like, he's not supposed to be there. I'm supposed to be the one protecting him. Yeah. So it's something that goes sort of unspoken <laughs> between them, even though Clark does have a sense of like, oh, I'm about to tell Kara that I can't stick around. <laughs> yeah. And he feels bad, obviously. But again, yeah. it goes back to my like divorced dad analogy <laughs> of like, oh, time's up. Bye. Like, yeah. And I mean, it's tough because like the show isn't in Clark's perspective. Yeah. Where like we know why he exactly made the decisions that he did with like not even sticking around to hang out with her (laughs) on occasion well yeah and we also know obviously there's limitations because he was a guest star like (laughs) they can't have him there all the time (laughs) Um, well yeah i mean there's storytelling (laughs) limitations there but i mean for clark car says in the narration the pilot that he wanted her to have a similar upbringing to him because you know he had a great experience with the kents and that was the foundation for him of his value system mm. and he wants someone for Kara who is a friend to her 
And ultimately, like, leaving Kara with the Danvers was probably the responsible thing to do. Mm. Even if Kara herself would have raised him as, like, a 13-year-old. Yeah, which is fine. <laughs> and he was a baby. <laughs> yeah. And even if it's kind of awkward now with the new crisis situation. Where, with the math, it turns out that he had kids, like, a couple years later. Like, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah where it's, oh, you really couldn't have made this happen like yeah yeah you know and then again even if him visiting more often would have been nice well exactly and that's i think part of the point where alex views it as just sheer abandonment of like you know he he didn't have to raise you but he could have spent time with you like Mm -hmm. yeah it's not like he never was there yeah because we know he was clearly he offered her like to visit the fortress and she said no for that because it was too painful yeah so it's not like he was literally like dropped her off and never saw her again but but she was clearly yearning from a deeper connection especially you know when she had her little like superman's greatest hits scrapbook of like yeah all the things she was proud of him for and like Mm-hmm. following his exploits on the news, but maybe not necessarily hearing his perspective on all of them. Yeah. And, you know, if we take our heads out of, like, Kara's perspective of her sense of, like, responsibility as a 13-year-old and think about it as, like, adults <laughs> yeah, <laughs> looking at a 13-year-old who just lost her whole world and the one person that she, like, kind of knows on some level yeah. lives, but he's just not around. Like, he doesn't try to check in to make sure she's okay emotionally and doesn't, like, take responsibility in that way that, like, Alex would. And did. And did, yeah. <laughs> or Kara would have because her sense of responsibility for mm-hmm. the world, you know. Well, and again, it goes back to that more collectivistic framework that Kara operates from mm. of, you know, you care about all the people all the time. <laughs> all the time. <laughs> Yeah. So Carr and Clark, they're one of the more interesting but sort of unexplored mm, yeah. relationships of the show because obviously he's a guest star. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it's interesting to see how, you know, his presence was so strongly felt in season one, even though they had not cast an actor for it yet. Mm-hmm. And that was partially, I think, to ground the show in a world that a larger audience pool was familiar with, mm-hmm. which was a whole part of the opening monologue of like, you may already know his story, but not mine. Yeah. But that as Carb has become more confident in herself and as she's been going on this journey of exploring like who she is as just Kara, all the versions of Kara, that's less of a factor. Like she doesn't feel like she's in that shadow or she doesn't mm. crave the need for like approval or guidance in the same ways that maybe she did. Yeah. You know, she's probably in a better place to recognize kind of in the same way that she had to go through a disillusionment period with her parents who weren't there, mm, but yeah. she idolized. She's probably would be in a better place to recognize that Clark was not there for her emotionally in the way that she would have wanted. But also recognizing that he's like, he's a guy, you know, he's not just Superman, this like awesome figure and like the person I want to be. She's a superhero in her own right. Yeah. I mean, and it's a little bit a shame that they have all the restrictions filming for this year because it would have been really fun to see Clark in maybe a brief moment with this storyline with Zorel being alive. Mm, They should do a silhouette to round it out. (laughs) They should FaceTime. You're like, (laughs) that would be be like, look, this is my dad. Oh, yeah. Well, because he's Clark's like uncle, mm. like legit uncle. Alora is not really related to his parents. Yeah. Which, I mean, the idea of like Kara regaining some of her, her Kryptonian connections mm. with relation to Clark and the ways that he wasn't able to fulfill that for her. <laughs> and she couldn't really do that for him either is interesting. And, you know, going back to this idea of Kara coming into her own and being a confident hero, which is, you know, I think the conclusion of that arc we'll see in this season. She had that awesome speech 
to Clark in the Crisis crossover. Mm, yeah. Where she talks about Krypton's legacy in a way that she hadn't been able to before from the perspective of like an adult talking to someone who needs her guidance, you know, and, and be that person that she wanted to be able to be when she was 13. <laughs> yeah. And it was a nice testament to the evolution of her character that she was the one giving him advice. Yeah. Because we had never seen that before with them until that point. Mm, yes. Yeah. So in a way, we got kind of a conclusion, I think, for their characters as much as, you know. Yeah. As much as we are able to at this point now <laughs> <laughs> yeah well i wouldn't expect them to totally dive into like you abandoned me or yeah like that, no. so <laughs> the only things at this point would be it'd be nice to see just like little pop-ups in one or both of the shows as it rounds out mm. and maybe they will because there have been some kind of press releases coming out that individual actors from some of the shows that are wrapping are staying to do kind of like mini appearances on the other shows mm. instead of like big crossovers. Right. But we don't know yet. So we don't know. We'll see. We'll see. So that takes us to some questions. We asked you guys to send us questions about the first seven episodes of season six because we're about to go on hiatus. For a couple more months. Mm. It feels long. It's like a little bit less than three months, but it will go very fast. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this is true. And apparently it was also today was the last day for a bunch of the writers. So this, yeah. the series is finished being written. Yeah. They're not done filming yet, but we're getting there. So we're getting there. In order to tide you over and keep the beginning of season six fresh in your minds for the next several <laughs> months, we did ask for some questions, you know, if there were things that people wanted to speculate on or just were curious about. So our first one was an anonymous question, and it's, as much as I love all Danvers sisters' hugs, I wish we got to see a real reunion between Supergirl and the other characters in 607. What would you have liked to have seen in 607 or do you hope to see in 608 regarding Supergirl's reintroduction to the group? Hmm. Yeah. I mean, when I pictured the reunion, it was quite big in terms of like, oh, a group hug. That would be very like nice and dramatic. One thing we have to consider is COVID restrictions yeah. <laughs> and giant groups of people all together. And then also Melissa's limited time. We do know that there was a hug that included Jean that was filmed, mm. but ultimately not included. They decided to keep it a Danvers sisters hug. But I expect to see, you know, more stuff in 608. But it was a really good episode. <laughs> and while a more drawn out emotional beat would have been nice. There's still more of the show to come and more reunions to possibly see. Other people were not in the room when that hug took place. Mm. So yeah, I hope we get to see some reunions and Kara like decompressing would be nice and maybe a Danvers sisters couch scene yes. <laughs> is always the goal. It's funny you said you were expecting something bigger. Well, I pictured it bigger. Oh, okay. In my writing mind's eye, I would say. I wasn't so much expecting it. Okay. Yeah, it's funny. I don't think I ever pictured that initial return for Kara being anything other than small. Mm-hmm. And I think that was partly because the stuff that Kara was going through was like so far in her own head mm. and just so like really close to the vest in terms of hitting like really deep emotional things for her. Mm -hmm. That for me, I think it would have been more satisfying for it to be like a smaller, like a quiet yeah. kind of thing. It feels more private. Yeah. And I loved the, the acting choices that Melissa did in that moment that we saw because it really captured all of that in just like a couple <laughs> facial expressions, which is like, oh, mm. that's so good. It's really good. And I, we talked about the trailer seemed like there were a couple little things that looked like they pick up literally right where this episode left off, mm -hmm. which may have been something that gets cut. We don't know yet. So <laughs> I don't want to guess too far. I, I don't like to speculate that much because I'd rather just accept it for what it is. But yeah, same. I have a feeling we'll see a bunch of different like reintroductions to society <laughs> and to her <laughs> friends like for Kara. Yeah. Especially given that everybody else went on their own emotional journey in 607. Like there needs to be mm -hmm. some some decompressing in the flow of the story. Yeah. Well, and it's called Welcome Home, Kara. So yes. So presumably that'll be a thing that happens. Yes. A welcoming. <laughs> Maybe so. And then our next question came from Layla of Paper. So for the 601 to 607 ask... 
what are your top three Space Fam and or Danvers sisters moments, including the small versions, <laughs> so far this season? Okay. For the small versions, the scene in the car. Mm-hmm was nice. It was sort of a glimpse of the level of like Danvers sisters relationship that we see in adult Cara and Alex in the sense that Alex is on Cara's side Mm. fully in a way where, you know, we know that young Alex had some (laughs) contention (laughs) and uh, almost competition and, and some other elements that made it hard for them to feel comfortable all the time. And on Kara's side as well, in terms of being vulnerable with her. So that's one. And then Alex and Jean's conversation in, mm, I think, yeah. Phantom Menaces, where Megan was close to death and Jean was quite distraught and feeling hopeless. And Alex herself was like depressed, like there's no hope and, and just kind of moving her way throughout the day trying to muddle on you know and then she sort of sparks to life when she recognizes that Jean is hurting and needs her to be a hopeful force for him and that becomes in that way sort of a a full space fam moment Mm. connecting thematically Kara tying her in as well yeah so I have a third one I will offer the uh the couch scene from the flashback Oh, Y'all didn't realize there one. was one, did you? <laughs> Secret couch. <laughs> it was a sneaky one that they worked in there with Kara when Alex is taking the kryptonite out of her hand. Mm, and yes. Uh, they have like a cute little bonding moment. Nice. And our next question is from ArchieFan23. Do you think that we may get a body swap episode of Supergirl for the final season? Because I would love to see one between Kara and Lena. Because it might be a possibility, whether big or small, <laughs> since Supergirl's facing off against Nixley, and spoiler, they're bringing back Mixie too, which with their powers, they could make almost any scenario a cool plot point. I think that Melissa and Katie would kill it playing each other's roles. And if we do get one, which member of the cast would you like to see swap with who? And how would you like to see the episode play out? So we've talked about this before. We have. <laughs> I mean, body swapping is a fairly common trope. I I don't know, given the, the dramatic tone of mm-hmm. the show, how easily they could make it work in a comedic way. But I would never say never. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's this really like emotionally dramatic <laughs> body swap episode. <laughs> yes. But it's funny because when we talked about it last time, Comic Girl actually drew a cartoon mm-hmm. of it. And it was a Kara and Alex one. It's great. Which was hilarious. <laughs> But in terms of who would I want to see swap, I said I would want to see Jean and Nia, I think. Huh. Yes. That's just because they, they both have similar kinds of powers, but like in totally different ways. And it's just always <laughs> fun to see Jean trying to pretend to be one of the girls. Um, like like the, ki- <laughs> the kids, I guess. <laughs> the kids. You know, he's trying to like talk as the kids do. But also... The reason I was like, ooh, that would be really interesting is I would love to see it in the context of like Nia trying to navigate reconnecting with her sister because Sean had that whole arc with Malefic and him having been the one who wronged Mm. his sibling and getting them to a place where they have a conversation about that would be really cool to see. Yeah. You have a nice little plot there. I know. I didn't plan that. (laughs) (laughs) I would also, I think, maybe want to see like Brainy and because Jesse would be really good, too. I'm trying to think. Mm. Actually, Brainy and Lena would be kind of funny. That is fun. (laughs) I do enjoy that. It'd be kind of like when Jean had to pretend to be Kara at CatCo and had like no idea how to like <laughs> call people about journalism. <laughs> like Bra- oh, the idea Jean. of Brady trying to run a company where he has to like socially interact with people could be a so fun much. thing to see. <laughs> yes. Kara and Lena would be fun. It'd be interesting because they have such different energies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A little bit. Lena and Alex, <laughs> just because they've set them up so much to be like opposites of each other in terms of like mm. those two people on Kara's shoulders. <laughs> yeah, this is true. Who else do we have? We have Brainy, Jean, McGon, Nixley, Nixley impersonating people. <laughs> Nixley. You know, it'd be sort of fun to see like Kara like body swap with a villain. <laughs> oh my gosh, that actually would be hilarious. <laughs> the villain's like suddenly in in Kara's body, so that's like <laughs> troublesome for everything. And then Kara's like in some like dungeon, like or like. <laughs> 
dreary like location. I don't know. I don't know what scenario this is, but <laughs> <laughs> it's like a season one where Livewire takes Siobhan and is like, you need a new aesthetic and some makeup. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but it turns out it's Kara and then they make friends and it's fine. <laughs> and friendship saves the day. <laughs> and then everyone else has to figure out that Kara's not Kara, but actually an evil villain. Hmm. Who is yes. also then thwarted by the power of friendship. It's fine. Which, yeah, <laughs> that's great. That would be a good, I feel like Nixley would fit that, to be honest. Actually, so. yes. Her, like, <laughs> gleeful little shot of her clinging to the outside of the spaceship was just, like, the perfect, like, chaotic energy. <laughs> I'm looking forward chaotic to it. Chaotic energy, Nixley. I'm here for it. <laughs> and our next one is from Alex Rules. If Vibe from The Flash and Dreamer teamed up, would they be cool with one another? Oh, I was on the fence about that. Mm. Maybe yes, but if they got into like a passive aggressive battle over like wordplay and puns, <laughs> they could really get on each other's nerves. Wow. Wow. That I think like good. powers wise though, they'd be yeah. fine. That that's fair. I do I something about their energies, I do feel like they would be kind of antagonistic. <laughs> I know. I can't explain I don't know why. why. <laughs> something. Something there. It's a good question. Thank you. And then Alex Rule sent us a second question. Now that Supergirl's universe is merged with the Flashes, if Dion came to National City to pick a fight with Kara, would he win? So I'm not really familiar with Dion as I'm not caught up in the Flash. So I can't answer with a whole lot of nuance. I do tend to think, unless the character's like really like surprisingly powerful, that Car Car would win, given like statistically. Yeah. <laughs> Not knowing how how powerful this person is statistically, it's likely that Kara would win. However, there was this video of Stanley circulating on Twitter a little while ago, and he was asked the question of like, would X character or Y character win in a fight? And the way that he responded in a way that I agree with was that whoever the story needs to win wins. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Typically the person who is the protagonist of the story, if not the first time they battle the second, you know. So if the plot demands it, Dion can win. But if Dion's on Supergirl, it's probably going to be Supergirl. Yes, correct. And you're, you've watched more of The Flash than I have, so <laughs> I cannot add anything to that answer. <laughs> but. I mean, I would probably pick Kara also just because the rest of the Arrowverse heroes tend to call her in to fight villains that they can't beat. So, <laughs> yeah. So, reminders June is approaching rapidly, which wild. <laughs> but we all know what this means it means gay thoughts. <laughs> uh, that's all year long for me. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> But specifically, Pride Month is coming up, and several of the cast members of Supergirl are participating in Outfronts and Outfest, mm -hmm. which is a kind of LGBTQ-themed fandom extravaganza that will be taking place in the first week of June. And so Nicole Maines and Kyler Lee are participating on a panel that we are going to watch to talk about. We will also talk about the debut of Dreamer in DC Comics. Mm -hmm. And then also look more broadly at the queer storylines throughout the series and specifically also how they've developed in this season, because I think they've been incorporated in a little bit more of an organic way mm -hmm. this season where the text of the stories is really awesome. But it's also not like, hello, this is going to be a gay storyline today. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and we have a lot of interesting episodes lined up for the break. So, you know, stick around. Yes. An exciting hiatus ahead. Yep. And as always, if you have any questions or comments, general topic requests of something that we can get to once we get closer to the end of the series, <laughs> sad as that thought is, feel free to send them to us at Supergirls Attic on Twitter, Tumblr, or Instagram. And thanks for listening.